can grab it and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, last week we started a new series called Back to the Basics. We are digging into the Ten Commandments, which may feel very old school. It's obviously very Old Testament, but we're going to look at the Ten Commandments through the lens of the New Testament. What has Jesus done? Jesus didn't come to invalidate the commands. He came to, to illustrate the commands, man, to, to bring us more understanding of what they are and how they work. So last week, if you were with us, we discovered that we do not know these. Uh, we discovered that City Church understanding and memorization of the Ten Commandments is really, really low. So the one thing we're going to be doing is we're going to go over all Ten Commandments every week because we want to try to hide this in our heart. We want to grab a hold of this. We think if we're the people of God uh, and these are ten things he asks of us, we should know this. So if you would, would you stand with me? We're going to read these out out loud together uh, and, and allow God to begin depositing them in our hearts. You see there's some in yellow and some in white. The ones in yellow are what we would call the vertical commands. These deal with our relationship with God. The ones in white are the horizontal commands, those that deal with our relationship with others. Uh, so number one, read this with me. You shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make idols. That's the one we're going to dig into today. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. We'll get into that next week. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You guys are working that one out right now. Good job. A plus. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony about your neighbor. And number 10, you shall not covet. Father God, we thank you right now for your word. We thank you for blessing us with these instructions. God, we thank you that your word is not burdensome, that Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So we ask today, God, that this message, these commands would not be given as a burden to your people. God, but they would be given to bring us freedom. God, because that's what you designed them to be, Father God, to, to free us up to love you and love others the way we are designed to, Father God, the way that will bring us the greatest joy, the greatest fulfillment, the greatest blessing in our life. So God, we ask today you would set people free, specifically as we talk about idols. God, that your Holy Spirit would speak and that you would move and reveal to us idols that we may be wrestling with, that we, we may have been completely unaware of, God, or maybe that we're absolutely aware of. But God, we ask that you bring freedom today for your people, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. You can grab a seat. Talking about not making idols. On the surface, this may seem the most irrelevant one of the commandments. This may seem like the one that applies to us the least. The reality is most of us didn't wake up this morning and decide, hey, am I going to go to city church or am I going to worship this piece of wood in my closet, right? Most of us didn't walk by an idol in our living room. Now, there are people in America who have those situations, but they're the extreme minority of our country. Our culture does not generally worship physical idols. However, I believe there's spiritual application to this that is completely relevant to us. In fact, I would say if there's any of the Ten Commandments that can do the most to set us free, to illustrate our struggles and the things that are holding us back from serving God the best, I think this is probably the most impactful of the ten. So my prayer for you today is that you would hear God's voice as he speaks and illuminates what these idols are in your life and how he wants to deliver us from them. I believe that all of us have these. 
No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how mature you are in your faith, no matter how far along in the process you are, you've got some idols in your heart that are competing for God's place. I know that I do. And so I come today not to condemn, not to point the finger from the mountaintop and say, you guys need to get this right. I say, man, we got some work to do. But that work to do represents an opportunity for us to get closer to God's plan for our life, to get closer to the center of what he's designed for us. So let's begin by reading through this second command, and then we'll dig into it. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, it says this, God says to Moses, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, so he says don't worship angels, or on the earth beneath, so don't worship cows, don't worship eagles, don't worship, right, like, Sports teams, don't worship people, don't worship musicians, don't worship political parties, which, by the way, we need to vote, and we need to pray for the election. It's coming up, and that stuff's very important, but we can absolutely make politics an idol, Uh, and regardless of who wins the election to be president of the United States, Jesus sits on the throne, and I'm very grateful for that. No matter what happens in our election, man, I know who my king is, and his name is not Donald Trump, and it's not Joe Biden. My king is Jesus Christ, and so that brings freedom. Doesn't mean we shouldn't vote, doesn't mean we shouldn't care, doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. We should absolutely do those things. But no matter which way the election goes, we know who sits on the throne. Amen? Verse 5, he says, you shall not bow down, or excuse me, uh, on the earth beneath or in the waters below. He didn't just randomly list things here. He was speaking directly to, to idols that the people around the Israelites worshipped. The Israelites had just come out of Egypt. They had seen idol worship on many, many levels. They had a sun god and a fertility goddess and all this whole list of gods. And they were heading into the land of Canaan that had all kinds of other gods that they worshipped. And so I like that he specifically mentions the, the waters beneath because the Israelites are about to come into a rivalry with a people group named the Philistines. You've probably heard about the Philistines. You've probably heard some stories about them. Well, the, the Israelites are about to move next door. And the Philistines worshipped a god called Dagon, the fish god. And so God declares right before they come into territory of the fish god, you're not worshipping anything even in the waters beneath, right? So, so he's addressing actual physical things that the Israelites could be tempted by. Verse 5, he says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That may seem really cold and really harsh, but look at what he says in the next verse. He says, But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. My sins, my struggles, my weaknesses are going to hurt my kids. They're going to hurt my grandkids. They're going to even hurt my great-grandkids. But the things that I get right, the righteousness that I have in my life, it's going to bless my children and their children and their children and their children and their children to a thousand generations, which I don't think there's a thousand generations till Jesus comes back. So basically everybody who descends from me is going to be blessed by the things that I get right. That's amazing. That's the goodness of our God. Sin only lasts three or four generations, but the blessing lasts a thousand generations. That's the good God that we serve. We see this logical progression in the commands. Last week we saw the very first commandment, that thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then the second command is almost like a part B to the first. It's almost like God says, let me clarify or let me be specific. In case you missed it, I'm going to make sure you understand. That means don't make any idols. Don't make any graven images. Don't worship anything that is created when you have the opportunity to worship the creator. 
right? He says, he says, this stuff is down here. I'm up here. Worship the one who matters the most. When I was a kid, I was, I don't know, eight years old or so, we did a kid's Christmas musical, which, by the way, a kid's Christmas musical, that's another thing that died this year because of COVID. Uh, we're not going to get to do a kid's Christmas musical because we don't want to pack a bunch of kids in a room for rehearsals for 12 weeks in a row uh, with everything going on. So we're not doing that this year, but we hope that'll come back next year. Uh, but I was in one when I was a kid. And it was called Angels Aware. It was all about the angels in heaven finding out that Jesus was going to be born uh, and kind of their perspective on it. And this is how old school we were in the 80s. You could do a Christmas musical and you'd still make it about the Ten Commandments. I don't know how that tied together. I don't know how it was relevant to Christmas, but somehow, some way, we did a song in there called the Ten Commandments, or it was about the Ten Commandments. It was called the Perfect Ten. Uh, and it was like, number one, we've just begun. God should be first in your life. That's the most I've ever sung on this microphone. I am so sorry. I'll never do that again. Got caught up in the moment. Uh, I can still remember this like 32 years ago, right? Like I remember this, this stuff that we rehearsed. And it says, uh, number two, the idle rule, those graven images aren't nice. And that's kind of silly uh, way to say it, right? That they aren't nice. It's a very juvenile, very kid's way to say it. But, but the point that God's making is I got something better. Man, there's something for you that is so much greater, so much better, so much deeper than worshiping an idol. Uh, when we read of God's reaction to breaking this command, he says, look, the sin's going to be passed down to the kids for three or four generations. That's a serious thing. That's a heavy thing. That, that should hit us pretty head on that, man, I want to stay away from this. I want to avoid this. I want to keep myself from this. And so Pastor Tim Keller uh, wrote a book about idols, and he called the book Counterfeit Gods. And in his book, he's got some great information for us uh, that I think would be applicable to us. In fact, I want to share one quote for you. He says this about idols. He says, idols are anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. Anything in your life that if you think about, hey, if this thing was taken away, I don't know if I'd even want to go on. If there's anything in your life that has that place, it's probably taken the role of an idol in your life. Now, sometimes we say this about silly things, right? Like, I couldn't live without chocolate, or I couldn't live without pizza, or I've said this one, I couldn't live without air conditioning. Let me clarify that. I couldn't live in Mississippi without air conditioning, right? If, if air conditioning didn't exist, I would be back up north somewhere where it's a little bit cooler. Uh, praise God for air conditioning, because I know I'm right where I need to be, and I'm thankful that God has me here. But we can say it about silly things, right? But, but sometimes the truth is we feel it about more meaningful things. I don't know if my life could go on without my spouse. I don't know if I could live without this parent. I don't know if I could live without my child, right? And those are important relationships. Those are blessings in your life. I'm not saying you should be able to lose somebody like that and just snap your fingers and move on like nothing happened. But what I'm saying is if you don't think life is worth living without someone in it, then you've allowed that person to become too important in your life. Because the reality is we're going to lose people that we love. 
The reality is we live in a fallen, broken world, and their death is a part of this world. Loss is a part of this world. And if we are centered on who Jesus is, if we've built our life around him, we're going to be able to move forward. I'm not just saying move on. I'm not just saying just act like nothing happened. I'm not saying you don't grieve or it doesn't hurt because it absolutely should when we lose somebody who's important. But if we can't even imagine life without someone in it, we've allowed them too great of a role in our heart, in our life. So an idol is anything that that we create or anything that we worship that takes the place of God. And the challenge for us as Americans is ours are, are in our heart rather than our closet, right? They're not things that we pull out and bow down before and sacrifice to. They're things that we allow our heart to grow attached to, and our culture is full of them, so much so that we actually have a TV show called American Idol, right? And what happens when you watch American Idol? American Idol is designed to get you to fall in love with a particular singer and vote for them, campaign for them, argue with people on social media about why they're the best, Why? So that when the show is over and they put out music, that you will purchase it, that you will listen to it, that you will be loyal to that individual. Not for that individual's benefit, for the the company who makes the show and makes the music. That they're going to make money off of our idolatry. The biggest idol in America oftentimes is just materialism. It's consumerism. We'll get to talk about that. The last week of this series, we're going to talk about Thou Shalt Not Covet, the Sunday before Christmas. If there's ever a time to talk about the covetous heart and the way that we desire things, the Sunday before Christmas is probably going to be a good time for that. But we're so good at at manufacturing and creating idols. I want to share one more quote with you. Uh, And this one is by a man named John Stott. He wrote a book, The Message of First and Second Thessalonians, and he talks about idols in it. And he says this, he says, idols are dead, God is living. Idols are false, God is true. Idols are many, God is one. Idols are visible and tangible, God is invisible and intangible. Idols are creatures, the work of human hands, God is the creator of the universe and of all humankind. So he, he juxtaposes idols and God. He says idols are these things, God is this. And in every instance, God is better, right? God is greater. The idol is down here, but God is up here. If we look at it that way, it's very obvious whom we should choose. However, practically, it becomes much more difficult. See, idols are dead. They're untrue. They, they're liars. They offer something that they cannot deliver. They overpromise and underdeliver. They say, I'm going to meet this need. I'm going to provide this for you. I'm going to do this for you. But they always, always, always come up short. They never provide what they promise, unlike the God that we serve. So we said we're going to bring all these commands into the New Testament. Well, the New Testament actually talks specifically about idols in a few places, but I want to give you a story from Acts chapter 17. It's an awesome story. There's this man named Paul. You're probably familiar with him. Paul has had this radical conversion to follow Jesus, this amazing testimony. And God has sent him out as a missionary. And so he's traveling all over the, the Mediterranean area, telling people about Jesus. And he comes to a city, a very prominent city named Athens. Athens today is the capital of Greece. At this point in time, Athens was the capital of intellectualism. It was the capital of philosophy. It was the place where, man, this was where the greatest thinkers in the world were centered. The greatest philosophers in the world gathered in Athens to converse with others, to debate, to talk about life together. And so Paul enters into the city of Athens 
And it says in Acts 17, as he's walking around, his heart begins to break for the people of Athens because he realizes the city is full of idols. Man, everywhere he turned, he found another idol. In fact, it says, starting in verse 23, he says, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. The Athenians were so committed to worshiping idols that they were afraid, hey, we might have missed one. There might be some God out there that we don't know who it is, so we're going to make up an idol and we're going to worship this God and hope that they know that we're worshiping them. It's how committed they were to making sure they covered all the bases. But I love how Paul approaches it. Rather than shaming them, rather than telling them that they're wrong or, or telling them that, man, they're sinners and they need to repent, look at how he does this. He says, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He says, in other words, this unknown God, I'm about to tell you who he is. There is a God you don't know. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he came to die for you. And he came to live for you. And he came to set you free from your sins. And so Paul begins to unpack the Old Testament. He begins to tell them about the creation of the world. And he brings it all the way up to Jesus. And as he finishes his statement in verse 30, he says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, talking about worshiping idols. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What's God's command for us if we're dealing with an idol today? All people everywhere. Everybody say, that's me. Right? All people everywhere, that includes us, right? What does he want? He wants us to repent. If we've given anything, any area of our life, any area of our heart to, to something that isn't him, he's commanded us to repent. Verse 31, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, that being Jesus. He has given proof of this to everyone. How? By raising him from the dead. Everything comes back to the resurrection. Why do we believe all this stuff? Because Jesus is alive, right? And so he brings it to the resurrection. Now, at the resurrection, this is the point where he loses them. He's dealing with all these philosophers, and he's given them all this history, and they're interested, and they're listening intently. And then he says, hey, there's this guy, Jesus, and he died, and he came back to life. And that's where all these people who worship all these gods, all these myths, all this stuff, they say, you know what? That's a little too far for me, Paul. I'm out. But thankfully, not everybody does. The end of the passage actually lists the people in Greece, in Athens, who convert. They give their life to Jesus because they've heard Paul's testimony and his declaration that Jesus came back from the dead. See, the resurrection is offensive. The idea that, that, that he could die and be raised again, that goes beyond human understanding. But it's the thing that all of life revolves around. It's the thing that the commandments hinge on, that Jesus is truly alive today. That's why he's worthy to worship above these idols, because he is alive. See, Paul makes it clear that God is known, that we have assurance of this through the resurrection of the dead. Before, why did they worship idols? They worship idols because they wanted something tangible, something they could see, something they could touch, something they could get a hold of to worship. That's why they worship idols. And Paul says, you don't have to do that anymore because God's not invisible anymore. He came. He appeared. He showed up as Jesus Christ. And because he did, it's like Colossians says, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's arrived, you can see him, and now you can worship him. You don't need an idol. So as we close today, uh, I want to share with you some material that I've got from what's called authentic manhood. Authentic manhood is what we study on Tuesday mornings in our Man Up group. And uh, in volume three of Authentic Manhood, it talks about a man and his traps. And inside a man and his traps, it, it talks a lot about idols. In fact, it shares with us three deep idols. 
I want to share with you what I believe are the three deep idols, the three root idols. In other words, we, we could talk a lot about surface idols today. We could talk about alcoholism. We could talk about drug abuse. We could talk about pornography. We could talk about losing your temper. Well, we, we could talk about getting offended because somebody doesn't recognize your worth, right? We could talk about a whole lot of stuff at, at, the, at the top uh, that, that are issues that we need to deal with. But the reality is all this surface stuff stems from three roots, And so what I want to do today is I want to share with you the three roots, the three deep idols that all of us struggle with. And what will probably happen is you'll probably see that you struggle with one of these more than the others. There's probably one that that your heart is more inclined towards. doesn't mean you never deal with the others or you never fall in other ways. But all of us have a heart inclination. And I'm going to share with you what mine is as we dig into them. So the three root idols look like this. The first one is what we call the comfort idol. The first deep idol is the comfort idol. This is the idol that we turn to, man, when, when things aren't going well and we say, hey, I've just got to have a Mountain Dew, right? I just got to go to Avellino's. I've, I've got to have this thing. Maybe it's not food. Maybe it's not drink. Uh, maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's a conversation with somebody. But, but the root idol of comfort has this lie. The comfort idol lie is that happiness comes when life is easy or when I'm consuming, If you struggle with the comfort idol, you deal with things like laziness, procrastination. Uh, You you deal with things like like overeating, like drug abuse, alcoholism. All of those things stem from a root comfort idol. Now, for me, I'll be very upfront and very real. This is the one I deal with the most. The comfort idol is is the greatest challenge for me because I'll get stressed, I'll get anxious, I'll get man tired or whatever it is, and I'll be like, hey, I just need this thing. Just one more cookie, right? Like just one more of whatever it might be. And I find comfort in those things. I justify, well, hey, I deserve this. I've earned this. So the comfort idol is is my root idol. I, I didn't know this until we went into this material, I don't know, a year and a half ago or so. Uh, so I've been battling the comfort idol. Let me just say this. I'm not going to teach you this today, and you're going to go out of here and snap your fingers and pray one time, and this stuff is done. This is the kind of stuff that you wrestle with through, through our lives. So what I want to do is I want to empower you through information. What's the Bible says? The Bible says that truth sets us free. So I want to give you some truth today. So now you have the ability to pick up your sword and go to battle. It's not going to necessarily be, man, why pray this thing one time, and all of a sudden everything's great. I hope and pray that you find that. I haven't found that. I found a process that I'm having to walk out, that I'm having to deal with, that I'm having to go through. Uh, but, but the comfort idol, if you deal with those things, you probably have a comfort idol that says, man, I find happiness when life is easy. I find happiness when I'm consuming something, whatever that might look like. The truth is this. Jesus shows us by his example that true happiness does not come through instant gratification, but true happiness comes through self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. Where do I find my greatest joy? Not when I'm consuming something. I find the greatest joy when I'm blessing somebody, when I'm laying down my life for someone else. That's where I find fulfillment. That's where I find peace. That's where I discover joy. And so the root idol lies to me. It offers temporary fulfillment, temporary satisfaction, temporary easing of the pain, a temporary cover, right? But it does not offer anything lasting. But Jesus Christ offers lasting peace and infinite joy and something that carries a fulfillment that will move on. So that's the first deep idol, the deep idol of comfort. The second one is the control idol. The control idol. The control idol fleshes out in our lives when when somebody does something differently than the the way we like it to be done and we freak out. 
or, or the control idol fleshes out when we're in a situation and we feel we need to assert our, our dominance, our power, our control. We want things done our way, and this is the way it has to be done. Here's the lie of the control idol, that happiness comes when I'm running the show. Or happiness comes when you're running the show, right? Like things are done the way that I want them to be done. That's when everything is okay. That's when the world is right, when it's done my way. Oftentimes the comfort idol pops up as, as uh, almost a pendulum swing from childhood. You grew up in a very strict household. Mom and dad did things their way and you never got anything your way. So now that you're an adult, you're going to assert yourself and it's going to be me. Right? Or, or maybe you saw that modeled in your family and you think, man, this is the way it's supposed to be. The co- control idol often fleshes up in, in men as, hey, I'm the man of the house. But it often shows up in women as well as controlling, especially in, maybe in the lives of their kids, even in the lives of their adult kids. Uh, if you've got a control idol, you've believed the lie that you can be in control. See, the reality is you can only be in control for a moment, right? You can only be in control when, when you're watching people, when you're around people. The control is very fleeting. But we serve a God who has ultimate control. We serve a God who can be in control. And so the way to defeat the control idol is to release control to God, right? It's that famous cliche that we roll our eyes at, let go and let God, right? We've heard it our whole life. It's been on the magnet. It's been on the fridge. You've seen it on the bumper sticker. But that's, that's the control idol, is God, I'm going to release control of this thing because I know I'm never really going to be in control. No matter how hard I fight, no matter how hard I struggle, no matter how hard I I assert my dominance, I'm never going to actually be in control. But I recognize one who is. And I'm going to yield control to the one who is worthy of control. Let, Let me say this. If you were actually in control, the world would be a lot worse than it is right now. That might sting a little bit for some of us because you think you got it all figured out, right? You, you can solve all the world's problems. But man, if you were in control, it'd be a whole lot worse. And same with me. And so the control idol is this lie that somehow we could make things better. What does it stem from? It stems from pride, right? So if we go back to Jesus, Jesus was tempted as he goes out in the desert by the enemy. And, and the enemy tempts him with first with the comfort idol, right? He says, hey, you haven't eaten for 40 days. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus denies the comfort idol by saying uh, that I should not, the Bible says I should not live by bread alone, right? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he defeats the comfort idol, but then there's the control idol. The enemy says, go up on this temple and throw yourself down. And you know, God's going to send angels. You've got the power. You've got the authority. You're Jesus. He's going to save you and he's going to rescue you. Show everybody how in control you are. And Jesus defeats that idol as well, he says, the Bible says, it is written, should not tempt the Lord thy God. So he understands, look, Jesus models for us, he didn't come to be in control himself, he came because his father's in control. And he submitted his will to the will of the father. So Jesus lives this stuff out for us. And third, uh, the, the truth is this, Jesus demonstrates for us the happiness that comes from recognizing God is in control, and rather than fighting him for control, yielding to that control. So the third idol is this, it's the significance idol. The significance idol, this is the idol that fleshes up, that fleshes itself when the way that other people treat you, the way that other people approach you can, can ruin your day. 
If somebody, because they disrespect you, because they cut you off on the road, uh, because they, they cut in front of you in line at Kroger, if that can totally destroy your day, you probably have a significance idol. If somebody in your family uh, can, can say something or do something in such a way that it destroys your holiday, right, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, we're coming up on Christmas, if there's somebody that you're going to see and if the way that they treat you at the holidays can destroy your Thanksgiving or destroy your Christmas, you probably got a significance idol. Here's the lie of the significance idol. Happiness comes when others recognize my worth and my importance. That other people have to see me for who I am. You see, the control idol is about you having control for yourself. The significance idol is about other people demonstrating your worth and your value. How have I missed it with the significance idol? Well, years ago when I was a youth pastor, the, my boss promised me a Christmas bonus one year. And I've shared this story before, but uh, spoiler alert, I didn't get the Christmas bonus, right? Never happened, never showed up. And, and that hurt. But you know what hurt me the most? It wasn't that I didn't get the Christmas bonus. It was that somebody else did. And so I felt that that demonstrated this other person had more value than I did. And that's the kind of thing where the significance idol will show itself up. It's in comparison. Hey, did they compliment me the way they complimented them? It's, it's wanting somebody to recognize how smart I am, how beautiful I am, how funny I am, how important I am. It's, it's needing that from somebody. And don't get me wrong, we, we all need to be complimented and we need to be encouragers. We need to be loving each other and looking for chances to speak life into one another. But if I place so much significance in your opinion, if I come up here and preach, and I need to hear you tell me, man, I was a great message, Pastor Troy, or I have a bad week. What have I done? I, I have placed my own significance at the root of what God is doing. And I've invalidated my opportunity to be used by him because I'm looking for glory rather than his glory. Right? And we do this in so many different ways. We do this with our, with our talent. We do this with our job. We do this with, with needing to be recognized in, in, a, in a family by our kid uh, on, on a holiday, by Mother's Day or Father's Day or whatever it might be. And if somebody misses it, if somebody doesn't do it the way that we want them to do it, it destroys us. Why? Because we've placed their significance in their eyes at the center of our heart. Here's the amazing thing about the significance idol. There's only one opinion that matters. And that opinion says, you are so worthy, I will die for you. That opinion says, you're so worthy, I've created you in my image. That opinion says, you are so worthy that when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I sent my Holy Spirit to live in you, to be with you every single day. That opinion says, you're chosen, you're accepted, you're adopted, you're blessed, you're righteous, you're holy. That opinion says, you're of infinite that opinion says, I will buy you with a price. The greatest price there could ever be, the life of the only perfect one who ever lived. See, the significance idol is a lie that says, I need significance from someone outside of the one who made me. And when you get set free of the significance idol, you no longer live for the approval and the acceptance of other people because you understand you have the approval and acceptance of the only one who matters. 
and now empowers you to walk out the call God has for your life because you're not performing for an audience of people. You're not worried, what is somebody else going to think about this if I take this stand on this issue or if I speak up about this thing that's a problem or, or, or if I come in and, and, and I live differently than everybody else at work because everybody else at work gives into this thing and laughs at these jokes and does this stuff and I'm not going to be that person because God has something better for me. Man, when we get free of the significance idol, we're free to live out the life he's called us to. See, the reality is I deal with all three of these idols. There's ways I deal with the significance idol. There's ways that I deal with the comfort, uh, control idol. There's a lot of ways that I deal with the comfort idol. Chances are you probably see yourself in more than one of these. You probably see some areas where you, where you struggle, where you wrestle in more than one of these areas. And God wants to set you free. And like I said, that freedom oftentimes is not just this instantaneous breaking of chains and I never deal with it again. Many times that freedom is, is an awakening to go all the way back to January, back when life was good and we were excited about 2020. We said the theme for the year for City Church was awakening. What's my prayer for you today? That he would awaken you to some root idols in your life. That he would awaken you to some stuff that you've given, given room to that doesn't belong. Here's the... The problem with idols is we think we're getting something from them, but what we're actually doing is giving ourselves to them. Idols offer something, but they take so much more. Jesus offers something, and he takes so much more. He takes my sin, and he takes my shame. He takes my fear. He takes my doubt. He takes my punishment, my condemnation. He takes it all. You see, what Jesus takes is a whole lot different than what the idols take. And what he offers is infinitely greater than any idol could ever offer. So I know you came today and you know Jesus is better than idols, right? Like, oh, wow, that's an amazing point. I never thought about that, Pastor Troy. I'm not so much worried about you understanding that as I am you beginning to see what your idols are so that you can fight them. You see, the enemy wants to keep us blind to this. As long as we don't recognize it, as long as this is just the way we live and the culture that we're a part of, we're never gonna go to war. But once the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to us, here's the root idol that you're dealing with. Now he's empowered us to pick up our sword and go to battle. God, I wanna be free. God, I I wanna give you the entirety of my heart. Remember last week what we talked about, Jesus says the greatest commandment that I would love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength. That's the greatest commandment. That's the goal. That's the vision. That's the challenge for us. And I think the second commandment is the one that we struggle with the most because we all make idols. In fact, John Calvin, the famous reformer, says that our hearts are idol-making factories. And I think he's pretty accurate. I think my heart is really good at producing new idols. Why are we talking about root idols instead of surface idols? Because we can deal with a surface idol and people do this all the time. You deal with drug addiction, you deal with alcoholism, you deal with whatever, and and you actually get rid of it, but a new addiction pops up in its place. People just go around and they exchange addictions. Why? Because they deal with a surface idol without getting the root. Jesus wants to set you free at the root. He wants to get rid of that comfort idol. He wants to get rid of that control idol. He wants to get rid of that significance idol so that you can be free. So as we close today, would you stand with me?